And we're back. This is the Playground Podcast, and Richard and I are talking to Steve Peserb at the Toy Association, and let's pick it up where we left off. All right, let's go. One of the hot topics we talk we hear a lot about is the the migration of the of the toy industry to to California, a kind of gold rush, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, to the West Coast. It's easy for the Asian companies. It's easy for buyers. It's all together. But you were saying earlier, there's a little bit of pushback. Well, there's a no question. The gravity is going toward California. You've got a lot more companies that are out there with offices, with showrooms. You've got a lot more companies that are going out there in the spring and the fall trying to capture appointments. What we're right now in the point of uh, relooking at our strategic plan and what we are hearing back from our members is you need to help us figure out what our role is in Los Angeles. The business, the gravity is going in that direction. But we've also heard from others who are established in Los Angeles. We don't like all these people <laughs> coming into our backyard. There used to be a time when, you know, the, the, it was a little more genteel. Other LA companies, the toy industry, genteel. Uh, Other companies, we're all riffraff. We know it. This is this is crazy. What's going on out here? The you know the 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 diversion of attention. People running up and down the freeway, getting stuck in traffic or whatever. Somebody's got to step in and help organize this. Otherwise, somebody else is. They're going to see a business opportunity. There's almost like a dis toy opportunity in Los Angeles. I I think you're right. Um, And so so that's what we're trying to reconcile right now. And it's on the radar of our board and our executive committee is clearly our members are saying they want the association's help understanding the new marketplace. And L.A. is a big part of that. Um, And we also have companies out there that obviously have invested in L.A. over a long period of time or a short period of time that are concerned because it gets more and more and more diffuse. Um, You know, there was talk when everybody wasn't going to go to Hong Kong because of the unrest and people were talking about canceling appointments is, was there going to be almost a pop-up LA show? Right. Because again, to your point, Chris, it is the easiest place for international and U.S. to kind of meet in one spot. We see it kind of macro is this. It's an issue going forward of, for some companies... Dallas really works for them. We have L.A. companies that go to Dallas because they can't get appointments in L.A. All right, so that tells you that's a data point. Right. And we've got companies who are in Dallas who want to go to L.A. and don't want to do Dallas. We see it as an and. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think that's one of the keys. People are going to say, oh, don't do Dallas, do L.A. Well, we got, you know, what we're learning, which is more important than what people are feeling, is it is an and type scenario. And L.A. is going to continue to grow and more companies are going to continue to move out there. Um, buyers don't like being away from home. No question about right. it. They don't want to necessarily spend more time in L.A. But it's kind of just the gravity of where things are going. Well, and kind of in the defense of Dallas, I talk to a lot of toy companies who, smaller toy companies, and they they love Dallas because as the retail doors get more and more diverse, as you're in drug and you're mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, not Joanne Fabrics is yeah. carrying toys now. Yeah. When you're when you're in those places, those are the buyers that they get to see in Dallas. Exactly, and that, that and who have the time thing. to spend yes. with them. Yeah. yeah, time is the big thing in Dallas. We hear that even even from Walmart. They can go and they can spend time with a company and see far more of the line than they can in a meeting room in in Bentonville or a quick hit in, in, in L.A. because they can only give everybody half an hour. Right. Well, it's an escalator ride. Yeah. It's an, and, you know, that as opposed to, you know, getting on the 101. Yeah. <laughs> and and the mean, business is changing. There's a reason why Melissa and Doug took a permanent showroom in Dallas. They don't only want to do the Dallas show. They also want to do the gift shows as well. Of course. To your point, the business is changing. Um, but let, let's, let's stop for a second. You know, we're referring to Dallas 
as if a show had to take place in Dallas. Dallas is a city. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just happens to be the place yeah. where that show is, is currently. So I, I think we get a little hung up on the notion of Dallas. So let's just not use that name. Let's just say that there's potentially two events that could be happening coterminously. And it might be the case that there would be a decision to uh, either make a calendar change for one of those shows to make it easier for people. could be a possibility. I would think there could be a geographic change because, again, it, it could be any city. Well, there's a certain proximity to da- of Dallas to a state called uh, Arkansas. Right. In a city by the name of Bentonville <laughs> um, that is was the one of the major drivers as to why that show ended up there versus the Atlanta gift market or the Chicago right. gift market or some, some someplace else. So there actually was some calculus and there continues to be some calculus as to why that building works. That building is also enormously affordable compared to all those other places. There was a study done uh, several years ago about moving the Dallas show to Los Angeles. And the economics from the exhibitor standpoint no longer worked. You're mm-hmm. going to end up in Long Beach and pay more money. You're going to end up in downtown L.A. and pay more more money. And the buyers didn't want to go to either place. Yet uh, people are going to L.A. Yeah. Uh, on their own. And it's it's um, self-actualizing, uh, I guess, self-forming. And I guess for you is the question is um, you're not making it happen. Mm-hmm. But no, can it, you, and that's, that's how my do you point as well. It? How do you yeah. manage what you've got? And that's where the and question comes up. Right. To Chris's point, there's a quality of appointment and an equality to the Dallas show that works for a certain part of our industry. There were 296 lines shown there this last year. Wow. That's wow. not all of them, no, obviously, no, by a long stretch, but that's a lot. Yeah. Um, so the question is, how do you make L.A. work for the buyers and the retailer and the manufacturers who want a third place to meet or another place to meet versus their own offices. And how do you make LA work given that that's where things are going? And that's what we have to figure out. It's not an either or it's an and. So another question is, you know, the question I always, I get a lot about is, you know, is, is New York toy fair in February still Mm -hmm. relevant? And, and I always say yes, but I'd love to hear from you, you know, why why it's still relevant for, for the Toy Association and the business. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why 30,000 people from 105 <laughs> countries still come, but that's how it's evolved. You know, for a lot of companies, it's the end of the deal-making. It's right. not the beginning of the deal-making. It's more about talking about what's going to be the marketing around it. Um, it's So media is still hugely important to, New York, to the New York show. Right. The financial world is still hugely important to the New York world. That's what we hear from from people in general. I still want to go there because of all those other reasons. There's also kind of a homecoming aspect to it for the industry. Right. Um, that, that they want to come together. People like the networking. They want to connect with others. Um, one of the, to Richard's point about looking toward the future, that building is going to get a lot bigger in 2022. Right. Um, and it's not just going to all be booths on the third floor. <laughs> There's an opportunity to, you know, as John Frascati at Hasbro said to us in a board meeting, to reimagine and reimage that show. Excellent. Um, that, that the fact is that the industry is changing. Right now, when, you know, we have, you know, movie studios who do activations in the hallway. Right. We had room for them. They would actually like to do some, you know, some more stuff there. We rent every square inch of the existing hall. We right. could have more licensing activity. We could have more outdoor play. We could have more stuff trending a little bit younger. There's all these areas of interest in the New York show that we've had to say no to over the years because we physically don't have the, the ability to do it. The question becomes strategically and, and thoughtfully going forward is how does that show look different that brings right. even more people together for more reasons around that core of toy, 
Maybe it's not called Toy Fair anymore. Maybe it's the Youth Entertainment Expo. Who knows? Right. right. But that's the examination that's going on right now to keep that show vital. We hear from members, you know, for everybody who, who will post something online saying, move it to Las Vegas, <laughs> move, it, move it to Orlando. Not Everybody's Las like, Vegas. well, if it's in Orlando, I'm not going because there's no media, there's no finance, and, <laughs> right. you know, right. and I don't want to go to Orlando. So there's that... You know, there's that certain thing about New York that still works for the industry, but the show has to evolve. Right. If we simply say it's going to be a bigger version of what it is right now, it is not going to work. That's great. And 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 New York as well, Orlando does have Golden Corral, but there's there that. There you go. Yeah, but, but, all you buffet. So. <laughs> but one of the things about, about the Javits Center especially is New York is moving there. I mean, yeah. New York, the whole Hudson Yards and hotels and... You know, that, it's not that, the outback anymore. It's not, it's not you know, the gulag. Yeah. You're not going to the toy fair in the gulag yeah. any longer. You know, it was amazing. After the subway station um, opened there, our buses had far fewer people on it. Right. And people would complain, well, there's no way to get there. But what well, was like, you know there's a subway <laughs> station? Oh, there is? The 7 line is amazing. So we've actually yeah. eliminated some of the bus lines. So Uber, the subway line, there's hotels closer. Hudson Yards is changing things. The building, the new building is going to be phenomenal and give us a level of flexibility. There's a five-story building of meeting rooms and ballrooms. Wow. So, you know, if you look at things that go on at other shows, there's an opportunity for companies to come meet in private, put together something in a, in a meeting room we can finally do education in a much more robust way. As we pulled education out of Toy Fair, the thing that we treasured and kept was the inventor-designer piece. Right. There is so much more we could do around educating the next generation of toy people at Toy Fair. Um, if you look at the NRF Big Show, it's all education and very little exhibiting. Right. Um, so you can really flip the script on some of this stuff. But how do we make them go for education? I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious, but I'm not being facetious. You give you know? them education that's interesting and they want that helps advance their career. I think so many trade shows, I go them to and go, like, oh, I know that. I'm not going to that session. Or, or, or you sit in a trade show and you listen to somebody get up there. My, this, but the, my bet noir, they get up and they do a commercial for their company and say, yeah. here's how I did this. But how does a small company replicate that? Don't you wish you were me? Yeah, Don't you? Exactly. <laughs> no, no, it's that nuts and bolts useful education. Right. Um, you know, you know, we put in place safety education, uh, which is an online program, right. and it's really targeted at a very specific niche of companies that want their incoming employees to know something about how important safety is to the industry. Is it going to be the be all and all to everyone? No. And I think when you do a really well crafted education series at a trade show. You really have to, not just because who the sponsors are or because who the big companies are, but what are the things your members are saying that they need to know? And I think that's critical. I mean, I was very fortunate when I started in a toy company, I'm right out of college, basically. You know, they taught me the industry from the ground from the ground up. I was in factories and I was doing yeah. that. And a lot of people don't do that anymore. You, you come in to do a function, but you Correct. really need mm -hmm. to understand Correct. the entire yeah. business to, to really play in this business. And we need to be the advocates for this for this industry. I was just at a, at a big European Chamber of Commerce meeting and someone was lecturing me about how toy factories really don't have any employees. They're all automated. Nobody works there. And he kept going on and on and on and on. I had just come back from a factory outside of Shanghai and seen the 700 employees. Right. And it basically, I mean, I'm, I try not to be a jerk, but I sometimes do that. I said to him, look, we can go with what you think or we can go with what I know. Right. Um, and, you know, this is, this is a unique industry. Um, and, you know, 
you know, Michael Rinsler and I from, from Wicked Cool were just talking the other day. He's very concerned about our ability to bring young people into this industry right. and want to make a career in this. Right. I've got my MBA or I've got my, you know, my, my Rhode Island design. Why do I want to bring my design talents here? Why do I want to bring my business talents here? Right. Those are the kind of things we need to focus on. Right. And, um, they're big a, issues. Well, the annual business conference is that evolution of PlayCon and also our credit conference. We've always done credit. We do a credit meeting at Toy Fair, which kind of flies underneath everyone's radar, where all the credit and finance people of the industry come together to talk about retailers under, under obviously, the, the watchful eye of, of antitrust. And we had PlayCon. And what we saw was the world changed out from under us. People wanted to network more, be closer to buyers, and bring in more of their own employees. So... It started in, in um, Seattle with Amazon, successful meeting, not as big as PlayCon. Minneapolis last year grew significantly, and you had CEO, CFO, sales manager kind of folks there. Um, and now we're going to move that on to Bentonville in July. Um, it's really about, again, responding to what the industry wants um, and kind of connecting buyer, seller, hot topic. Is, and that's is why the, it's worked. Uh, is the Bentonville uh, information up on the website? It's yet? just coming up on the website right now. So uh, MPD will be speaking there. Jeremy Gutsky, who was one of the one of the perennial favorites of, of PlayCon, will be there. The Walmart team will be engaged in that. So it is right after the 4th of July, uh, the next full week after that in Bentonville. It's happening actually at multiple locations around the town, which wow. is kind of cool. Um, and what it is that this time, again, just because we're looking at what people want, it is a full day, starts with a party, a full day on Wednesday, and ends with a party. And then every, on Thursday morning, everybody can get on an airplane and go home. Because right. that's what our audience wants. Right. Give me an intensive day, let me have some fun and networking, and then let me get back to work. Right. You alluded in your comments earlier about that no one has really come into the marketplace and tried to fill some of that gap left by. Toys R Us. I mean, we got the camp stores, but there's three. Uh, F.L. Schwartz is building out, but but still, it's it's, it's one it's in small. New York and in a couple airports at this three airports, I think, at this time. Plus, in other countries, uh, England, Ireland, and Shanghai. China, Shanghai, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, we got Toys R Us open uh, two stores, uh, but there's nobody really stepping into the void. I I haven't even heard much from the, uh, and I I had hoped that the um, the, the small independent-owned toy stores would take advantage of of the um, of these openings to open more stores to get bigger. Mm -hmm. do, do you have any insights for us on what's going on in terms of um, who's going to who, who may be looking to fill that void? Uh, the answer is no, and that's why I said earlier it worries me. Um, I think you know what TRU is doing is very cool. It's going to teach us about what needs to happen in retail going forward. Camp is already doing that. To your point, how many toys are they actually going to sell is right. the real question. For me, it, the key was, and specialty is is still the strength of, of, of our industry in a big way. And I think specialty is going to continue to be around, particularly the really well-run stores that have that attachment to their community. But what specialty can't do on a group basis is give a small toy company that order that allows them to go to somewhere in the world and manufacture that product. And that was the magic of TRU, that Richard Barry or one on his team would say, you know, I really like that idea, Richard. 
I'm going to give you a small order, but we're going to put it in all our stores, and that's enough for you to then make your product right. it's and bring it to scale. And then you hit or you miss. So you may hit or miss at TRU, but if you really hit, then other people are interested in you. Right. And, you know, and Coles wants to carry it at Christmas time. That's that middle link, that bridge that I call it in the toy world that we need to find again, either in piecemeal um, over multiple retailers or someone filling the gap. I mean, Walmart does a phenomenal toy with their toy selection. Target has a great view of where they're taking right. toys in the future. Amazon continues to grow because they can offer everything, but we need the risk taker in, 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 in the equation. Right, as opposed to the risk manager, which is what I see very often in, in terms of a lot of what gets stocked and what gets listed. Yeah, and the question is, does that then damp, dampen innovation in the industry? Because as a toy company, you can't take a risk. You're going to build to what you know is going to sell. Um, I don't think anybody, if I said to you, we're going to make a little robotic monkey that hangs on your finger um, and call it a fingerling, would say that was a great idea. Or I'm going to have a ball wrapped in stuff, wrapped in stuff, wrapped in stuff with a doll inside. <laughs> um, or any of these things. That'll or, never or, work. Or an egg that somehow hatches. <laughs> never work. you look at the toys that have really hit, Shopkins coming out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, Shopkins hit because TRU took a chance on them. Right. Um, that is, you've got to be able to embrace, embrace the crazy. Um, you know, for Creative Factor this year, we have T-shirts and actually see crazy ideas welcome. Right, that's because great. that's what our industry needs. And if you if you try to factor or manage out the crazy, we're not going to be successful. I always say the sentence I always use is "Stranger things have worked." Yeah, <laughs> you've been part of this industry for five years. Uh, you look relatively in, uh, sane uh, after it's that a, five it, years. It, you're uh, easily fooled. Uh, <laughs> And I'm sure this has been quite a ride for you because you've been here for some, mm -hmm. some some pretty rocky years. So after five years, and I always remember how Carter Keithley, always after 10 years, was still saying he was new to the industry uh, <laughs> and he really didn't know. Uh, <laughs> after five years, you think you get it? Well, I, um, that, no, you never get it. Because <laughs> it's dynamic. <laughs> I, yeah, and see, that's the point, Chris. The industry is new. So the industry is changing. Everything that we just talked about in the last half hour is something that didn't exist a couple of years ago. And I think that's the key. So unless you're willing to adapt to whatever's coming, that's going to be the real challenge. We use a phrase here called strategic agility. You can say that we're either going left, right, up, and down, and we don't know where we're going. But when tariffs hit, you got to deal with tariffs. When TRU goes out of business, you got to help your members go deal with it. So none of that hit before. So nobody was an expert in your number one big box retailer going out of business. Um, nobody was an expert in your president basically attacking your half of your members' ability to continue right. in business. Those are things that you just got to be willing to adapt, adapt to. Um, and that's what makes this job fun and exciting. I came from the advertising industry, so there's a dysfunctional one. Right. <laughs> um, you know, we're trying to basically, you know, make things that make people buy stuff they don't want. Right. Um, you know, and then I worked for years. Um, I was the CEO of the Partnership for a Drug-Free America, so I am the "This is your brain on drugs" guy. So there's a there's a world that's that's interesting. This is your so, brain on toys. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, the thing that I love is this is a continuum of having kids at the center of your work life which right. is really cool. But this is business, and that's what I remind people. Yes, it's fun. Yes, we do cool things. We go to cool places. We have friends all over the world. We make neat stuff. But at the end of the day, this is a business. And our job at the Toy Association is to help our members sell their products, to protect their ability to do business and grow and, and prosper around the world, to protect the kids we all exist to serve, and to constantly adapt to change. Well, this has been great. Um, 
Chris, I think we really enjoyed having uh, Steve with us today here at the Toy Association building. But by the way, when you're in New York, you need to come by to the Toy Association building. If you're a member. If you're a member. <laughs> we like everybody. We No, seriously, I think, Chris, that's a good point. We, we see ourselves as, as, as helping the entire toy and play community. Right, that's one of the reasons you're sitting in these meeting rooms. These were built this way so our members can book them and use right. them. If it's not toady season, we actually have offices that people can book right. so that when New York, they don't have to hang out at Starbucks. So come by. It isn't the toy building, Let's give but them it's the address. as good as the toy Let's building. Give them the address. 1375 Broadway, 10th floor. There you go. Thank you, Stephen Passier. Thank, Thank you, you, Richard. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to the Playground Podcast. Tune in next time for uh, Richard and I are going to be summarizing the decade, and we're very excited about that. So stay tuned. Very it's excited. Be a lot of fun. Very excited. Stay tuned.